Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Now this week we're on home soil discussing the women's tour, a race won by Paris-Roubaix champion Elisa Longo-Borghini by a margin of just a single second. Now since my trusty co-host Tom is currently in Italy, I have the pleasure of being joined by a special guest to go back over all the action from the race. Tilda Price, welcome to the TT Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to quickly go through your Palmares for anyone unfamiliar with you and your work. Um, so, you know, you can clock out for this moment of flattery. Um, Tilda is a cycling journalist. You've probably read her articles in Cycling News or Velo News. You may have heard her voice on Cycling Tips' freewheeling podcast, or you may have seen her on the Bunny Hop. Now, Tilda, is it fair to say that your interest and focus lies almost solely in the women's peloton? Uh, yes, these days. I do try and pretend to have some knowledge of what's going on uh, the other side of the fence. But um, yeah, it does kind of take up all my time now, women's cycling, um, which is a good thing. But it is funny when it comes around to the Tour de France and I feel like I've lost all the knowledge I used to have. <laughs> well, this year we'll have the, uh, the Women's Tour de France, so you can be the go-to person for all the new knowledge. Exactly, exactly. And for me, that's just more important. And I always talk about the Tour de France and people say, oh yeah, Roglic is going to win. And I go, Roglic? I don't even know what, he's not racing, is he? And yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that's the main thing for me these days. And uh, how have you enjoyed the Women's Tour this week? It was really good, actually. It was an interesting race because it's, it's often a funny one, the Women's Tour, because it's not always the hardest of races because, you know, we don't really have mountains in the UK and they often can't get dispensation for a time trial. Um, but yeah, it was interesting the way it panned out. Obviously, we had that hard day on Black Mountain, but then it came down to literally the final sprint. So I thought it was a really good week and quite a lot of stories, even outside the top three in the GC. Um, so yeah, looking forward to dissecting it a little bit. Absolutely. And I imagine also for a lot of people that weren't able to get to the race, coverage being their flag drop to finish line was also huge this year. Yeah. And it's almost surprising to me that it was the first time because I feel like especially the women's tour were really good at um, getting highlights out really, really quickly. They used to kind of have an hour package almost as soon as the stage is finished. So I feel like I've watched loads of the women's tour on TV, but apparently none of it was live. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really good to have that. And it's, it's a great step for them that they've been working really hard towards. And on Monday watching this the most boring rollout was actually oddly thrilling just to be able to see um, the start of a race and it's really not something you see very much even in the most established and well-covered um, women's world tour races. So let's start with that stage on Monday. We'll go through the stages and we'll hear from some of the riders along the way that I was able to speak to in Oxford yesterday. Now the first stage went to Bury St Edmunds. We had a lot of drama halfway through the stage when it was neutralised for quite a while which kind of left the riders in this awkward situation of right we need to keep warm here because this is going to go at some point but we don't know at what point we're going to have to restart here. It was a really weird one that wasn't it because I thought when it first happened I thought it would be a couple of minutes of a stoppage because you know we've seen that happen in in other races for plenty of reasons when there's been a blockage in the road um but it ended up going on for like just nearly an hour um and the reasons are not entirely clear but we're led to believe that there was some sort of accident um up the road that needed some medical and police intervention I think the interesting thing was that it confused me why they let it go on for so long. And I think I'm sure they were thinking, can we reroute this? Can we abandon the stage? All of this. But I think 
the the road probably reopened just in time for them to think oh it's probably just just short enough to start again um but there were some interesting comments after the stage about whether there should be a protocol for that kind of thing and if it's cold and wet is it really fair for riders to sit there for an hour and then have to race the final 40 kilometers um and then it really did culminate in a slightly weird finish as well and i don't i don't know if the two are related but you know, maybe just a slightly more tired, tetchy, less warmed-up peloton going into that finale. We had a big crash uh, on the penultimate corner, um, which was kind of yeah, it was an odd start to the race, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely might have played a factor. It was a very technical finish, and I think you can't really avoid that on UK roads when they finish in these kind of market towns, which is beautiful and really nice and great for the coverage for them to finish there. And you know, you see them heaving with people along these cobbled streets with these like old Victorian buildings and it's lovely. But what you do get as a byproduct of that is very tight lanes that they need to navigate through. And the riders will be very aware of that. They'll look through the road book. It doesn't come as a surprise to them. But that coupled with, you know, the, the legs are in a weird place because they've had to stop in the cold for ages. The wet surface as well, men that we saw a crash, including Lorena Weebus at the finish, the big stage favourites take the first yellow jersey. But it kind of played into Clara Capone's hand. And she was very savvy going into that corner and dealt with it very well. It did, yeah. And it kind of shows how you always need to stay in position somehow. I mean, because Clara must have been fifth or sixth wheel going into that corner, which if things had gone smoothly, wouldn't have been the best position. But the fact that she kept up there and didn't let it drop back at any time, even though you probably would have gone into that corner thinking, okay, you've got Cool and Vibus on the front, like this is it maybe I'm going to give up, but she was there the whole time and really kind of attacked out of that crash, which when it's, when it's in the last um, few hundred meters, there's no waiting or, you know, respect for the other riders, not respect, but you know, no one's sitting up and saying, Oh, just get back on your bike, Lorraine. It was all well. Um, So yeah, she was kind of just in the right place at the right time. And she came really close quite a few times at last year's women's tour. And I think she kind of likes racing here um for whatever reason there are quite a few riders especially the Italian ones that seem to really like these British roads so yeah she was just kind of there at the right time and really went for it changed her plan probably in the last few hundred meters realizing she could go for the win and yeah I was thinking it was her first professional victory which was really good to see and a great start to the week for FDJ as well it was and I one of the things I loved about it was obviously Clara Capone is a track sprinter a very well-known track sprinter and we saw this kind of glorious seated track sprint into the finish. We're so used to seeing riders out of the saddle, kind of, you know, tossing the bike between their legs side to side. And she was like low, seated in the saddle. You had the impression she was like flying around the velodrome, but she very, very powerful straight through to the line. And actually no hate to Vibus, but it was good to see someone else win. <laughs> now I, I caught up with Clara after the race, uh, well, after the final stage in Oxford, and as you'll hear now, she was very disappointed with how things played out for her teammate, Grace Brown, uh, in the GC, which we'll come on to. Uh, but she was still very, very fond of that special opening stage. Salut Clara, ça va? Oui, ça va. End of the women's tour, how do you feel? How do you reflect on the race? Uh, actually, I'm a bit sad for the general classification. Uh, it was a tough week. Uh, it started uh, very well with a win. But yeah, I was hoping we will have the jersey uh, until now. But yeah, we lose for nothing, I think. Yeah, I'm a bit sad. <laughs> yeah, but for you personally, obviously, the first stage was incredible. Yeah, yeah, for how, me. How was that feeling? 
Yeah, yeah, for me it was the best feeling of my life, I think. <laughs> it was my first win. I win a lot of confidence, I think. And yeah, I was looking forward to the to all the week for the for the work for the team because I know Grace was a leader. It was not me at the beginning, so yeah, I just I really wanted to to show to the team that I can be a sprinter, but also a teammate and a good teammate. And yeah. And in terms of sprinting, you're obviously a very powerful sprinter. Lorena Weebus is also very good. How can you beat Lorena Weebus nowadays? <laughs> to go directly uh, at work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, she's very, very strong. And I think uh, with this week I'm a bit more confident in my sprint. And uh, today uh, with the corner, I think I showed to the others I, that uh, I will be better. But. Yeah, I don't know. She's very strong, but I hope one day I will be stronger. <laughs> it was quite technical today with that yeah. left-hand bend. Yeah, yeah, very technical and yeah, I don't know. I I was just full gas. I I saw Elisa. I say I have to beat her. <laughs> That's all. And in terms of the next big stage race is the Tour de France coming up next month. How big of a target is that for you? That first stage, the first yellow jersey. Yeah. Are you, not, are you thinking about that yet? Yeah, yeah, I think about the Tour de France is my goal, but I don't know yet if I'm going. Uh, if I'm not going, I go to the Giro, so yeah, we'll see. But I hope uh, with my week, uh, I will be in the Tour de France. Yeah. Well done, well done, Sekar. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Right, stage two. Normality is restored. Tilda, you just said there that it was nice to see Weavers not winning. Stage two, Weavers is back to winning ways. She wins by four bike lengths, which I think we've become so accustomed to seeing this season. Yeah, and that was just a textbook Vibas finish, wasn't it? It was pretty uncomplicated, a long, flat drag to the line. You couldn't really imagine anyone else winning. And I think she kind of had the impetus from the day before um, to go for it. But yeah, it's one of those days where you think, how is anyone else ever going to beat Vibas? I know that Balsamo has a couple of times this year, but often in slightly harder days. But in a long, straight drag like that, I just don't think there is anyone who has the turn of speed that Vibus does. Um, so yeah, it was it was good to see her winning that, but it did seem pretty inevitable from the get-go. Now in so this is a stat that I got off Twitter from Adam Beckett of Cycling Weekly. And he oh, said shout the, out Adam. <laughs> shout out to Adam. In the last nine months, the women's world tour Peloton has taken part in seven different races that have started or finished in Essex. Now I'd like to add to that stat by saying that Lorena Weebus has won five of those seven stages, which is, I mean, there's something about the roads here. She won, what was it, two stages at the women, no, three, two stages at last year's Women's Tour in Essex, two stages at Ride London, and one at this year's Women's Tour. Three stages at Ride London, all of them. Three of them, but only two of them are in Essex. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm getting very confused <laughs> here with this. I see, I see, I see. Um, and then the other night I was up in bed, thinking about you know cycling as I'm sure most people do and I came up with this horrible bit of wordplay that I was debating whether I'd include in the podcast but it's come to it now and I'm going to put it in um which is that maybe we should start referring to Lorena Weebus as the Dutch the Duchess of Essex is that a reference to something no just no it's, <laughs> I don't think it is but I mean we've you know we've got we've had the jubilee here I see, I see people are feeling up for royalty she's Dutch so that kind of plays in 
Yeah, maybe she was really buoyed by the Jubilee as well and all the flags, especially on Monday. It was it was very um platy jubes focused I was unavoidable. In, in the UK. Now yeah. I know you were you were at Ride London last week as well. And this I I almost wanted to say to the riders, like, just to let you know, it's not always like this. It's not mm. just heaving with nationalism here. We're actually very understated. Sometimes. Um but yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? This this I mean, part of it, I assume, is that Essex County Council love having the races or are keen to have them, whereas Surrey obviously uh, ended their um, relationship with Ride London. But, yeah, there is something about the roads in Essex. They always say that the UK roads are really rolling. Um, But I think they're also, they're kind of hard enough to not just be super fast and everyone's there and it's easy for everyone but also quite uncomplicated in that we don't really have echelons much, even when it's windy because you've got the hedgerows and we have a lot of wide rows like the one in Harlow to use for the finishes. And so I think that really plays into a rider like, um, like Vibus's strengths that maybe you don't get quite so much over in Europe. And I know that, like the Netherlands is obviously super flat um, for a rider like her, but there's always something thrown in, in a, in a race in the Netherlands, some, some cobbles or a, or a mad exposed section or something like that. So I think the UK roads just often blend together to be the perfect um, perfect terrain for a rider like Vibus. And yeah, I hope she has some newfound appreciation for, for Essex. Maybe she'll get on The Only Way is Essex or something in a few years' time. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would love to see that. It would, be, it would certainly <laughs> add a bit more drama to the narrative. Um, stage three, Lorenis doubles up again into Gloucester. Slightly hillier stage this, one of the few Category 3 climbs, but I think this was a kind of theme across the race is that the hills were fairly inconsequential. Yeah, and I was having a long conversation with um, Amy Jones about this because a lot of the commentary were kind of saying, Vibus is more than just a sprinter because she can get over these climbs and she's a punchy rider. But I think there is a difference between a rider who is a punchy rider and is a sprinter who can climb. And if that was a, a stage in, say, the Men's Tour de France... And Mark Cavendish got over those hills and won. We wouldn't be saying, oh, he's not just a sprinter. He can get over the climbs because it's like, well, but good sprinters can get over relatively easy climbs. Um, but it is a testament to kind of how strong she is. And I think a lot of people, especially prior to this year, had kind of written her off as a rider who needs basically the easiest stage ever to win. But I think she has really improved her climbing legs. And also with the DSM team, it seems like they can get her through anything because they are just power horses on the front of the peloton they're so good i mean it became such a common sight this woman's tour, and a wonderful sight to see pfeiffer georgie just drilling it at the front of the peloton which is how it's so good to see her kind of coming into that role of like road captain this is it i'm in charge of everything you stick on my wheel and i will get you to the finish yeah it's just insane and obviously you know pfeiffer is a rider who's been around for a long time and is the british champion but there were days, especially at this tour, where I thought, oh, like, this is the real deal. And I think especially on this stage to Gloucester, there was a point where kind of going into one of the last corners, she was leading Lorena out and they were like dropping Alex Manley behind. And I thought, if these sprinters can't hold on to the wheel of DSM's lead out, for Georgie, how fast is she going? Um, and I think, yeah, we've we obviously laid on a lot of praise in the last couple of weeks for Charlotte Cool, who is another one of the um, DSM lead out riders. But I think in this race, Pfeiffer really made the difference by just yeah, churning it on the front and hardly anyone except Phoebus could hold on to her wheel at times. 
Now, on the final stage into Oxford, there was obviously this other narrative, which was kind of DSM, who they were sprinting for. Lorena has won two stages. She won three at Ride London. She's kind of had her spoils now. It was time to pay back for Charlotte Cole, who has been a wonderful servant to her. Um, or so it seemed. Now, Tilda, you were saying that there was maybe a bit of tension after the race between them. Yeah, so I kind of accidentally got in the middle of this because I went to interview Charlotta thinking, oh, I'll just ask Charlotta about being like, you know, this great lead out rider. And she was really annoyed. And I thought, I don't really understand why she's so annoyed. Like, she's, they've just won the race. Like, it's fine. And then Lorena comes over and they start having quite a discussion in, in Dutch. So I don't know what they were saying. But yeah, from kind of picking up bits uh, post-stage, it seemed like DSM had agreed to go for Charlotte to call on that stage, who is a great sprinter, won a lot of races last year. She won the GP Ecostruct in Belgium earlier this year. And it probably is time for her to have a chance in a stage race like this instead of Vibus. But going into the finale, I haven't watched the sprint back closely, but I think Charlotte was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And she said to Pfeiffer Georgie at the finish, she said, I told Lorena to wait and she didn't wait. Um, so it seemed like Lorena was meant to be leading her out. She lost Charlotte off her wheel. So Lorena just went for it and obviously won because Lorena is the best sprinter in the world. Um, but it was kind of a strange decision that DSM almost knew they would win if they went full in for for um, for the for Lorena Vivas. And I can I can see the the point of going for cool to pay back for what she's been doing but also it was risky and she wasn't necessarily going to win and I think if, if you're Lorena Vivas and you lose Cool's will and you know that if you just go for it you can win I can see why she did that instead of instead of waiting and I, I spoke with Lorena after the race and asked her about you know how important her team have been at this race and also what it's been like to win three stages at this year's women's tour Lorena, congratulations again today. There's something about UK roads and victories to you. That's your sixth one this year, is it, on UK roads? Three at Ride London, three here at the Women's Tour. Yeah, it's crazy, actually. Um, it's a bit sad that we crashed on the third stage, but uh, we really made some good things uh, the last couple of days. We really showed that we are strong as a team, having the fighting spirit and uh, go all in for it. And how confident do you feel in a sprint these days? Do you feel like you're unbeatable? Well, it's still hard to say because positioning is also really important. Uh, because today was really technical. Uh, the plan was to sprint for Charlotte, but we lost each other. And uh, I only found it out after the last corner uh, when I wanted to start moving up. And then I saw she was not in my wheel. So I'm. this win is a bit with mixed feelings also. But I think, uh, yeah, what I said, we really showed as a team, but every sprint is different and uh, it's not always fully confidence. Of course. And were you thinking about the first stage, obviously the first stage you crashed out, today it was also a very technical finish with that left-hand bend. Were you concerned about that? Were you thinking about that? No, because also today it was completely dry, so then it's really different and uh, no slippery roads. <laughs> of course. And next month there's another very big stage race coming up likely to be a sprint finish in Paris for the first yellow jersey. How does that prospect feel to you? Yeah, it will be really great to be there and uh, to go for the win. And uh, yeah, I already said, said it a couple of times that it would be a really big goal to get uh, the first yellow jersey in years. And what would that mean to you personally and for the team to win that? I think for the team it's also really important because uh, we show that we are really strong 
uh, as a sprint team. And um, yeah, for me personally, it's really a goal where you can work to. And if you get that goal, then it's yeah, it gives also a lot of confidence. And finally, a word on your team at this race. They've been amazing for you. Charlotte has been great for you in the sprints. Fife has been chasing down the break for you. Your other teammates as well. How have yeah. they been for you this week supporting yeah, you? Yeah, they are amazingly strong. They are fully committed to the team and to the, to put the effort in. Also today we controlled the breaks and uh, yeah, they did amazing. They are really strong and uh, we can work on that. Stage four, we go into Wales for two stages. Um, Grace Brown wins for FDJ. It was a very clever, clever sprint from her, I think, with uh, Elisa Longaborghini to the line. It was a strange one going into it when Grace was on the front. And I would say that Grace, out of those three with Nuvia Doma, she's probably the second best sprinter. You would put Longa Borghini as the best. And again, no shade to Kasia, but she is known for not being the best sprinter. And Grace was leading it out into the last kilometre. And I thought, oh, she's kind of messed this one up, but oh, she's still going to get some seconds. It will be all right. But then, yeah, Longa Borghini, I think, underestimated her as well and just went a bit too soon and Grace was able to come right round her to the finish and um, Elisa ended up getting only third behind Cassia so it was kind of the opposite result of what I might have expected um, in that race but it was it was not necessarily I think the interesting thing was that actually when you were looking at that group of group of 10 we were sat there saying why is it someone like Kristen Faulkner attacking? Like they could, if they keep it together and they keep rolling through, they're going to stay away from the chasing peloton and Alex Manley can take the win. But then actually when a rider like Grace Brown attacks, you can actually go and stick with it. That then did seem like a good idea. Um, and even on the flat roads, it shows that if you have that power, like someone like Grace and Elisa do, um, you don't necessarily need to climb to get away from a bigger group. Yeah, and you'd almost think that for classicy riders like Grace Brown and Elisa Longaborghini, you'd need a more challenging finale. But they showed with their power that they could, you know, stick it out. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know what you were expecting of Grace Brown from this week. I mean, she's never won a stage race. She's won Brabant's Appeal. That was second in Liège, Baston Liège, I think, as well. Um, I didn't really have her down for one to be aiming for, you know, the yellow jersey here. No, I didn't either, because I would have said there were too many flat stages for her. And I think everyone gets a little bit tangled up about what kind of rider Grace Brown is. But I think you put it well in that she's a classics type rider. And probably after this race, she is quite a similar rider to Longo Borghini in that she she has a decent enough sprint, but you wouldn't call her a sprinter. And she has a decent enough climb, but she's not a pure climber. And so, yeah, I kind of thought she would be trying to be aggressive but not really necessarily finding the days where it paid off because it is so hard to get away on a flat and all of the finishes were flat except um black mountain and i thought grace will never win on black mountain because she's not a pure climate but then obviously we'll get onto how that didn't really pan out how we expected but yeah i think in hindsight you think oh yeah like it makes sense that she was there on all those stages but i think that moment where she went and they actually dropped the rest of the breakaway and they weren't getting caught by the peloton that was not how I would have thought that stage would go and I wouldn't have thought that they could just get a jump on them on a relatively innocuous flat section like that but I think it's it kind of testament to quite crafty and clever racing from FDJ at the women's tour this year 
I mean, they wore the leaders' jerseys for four, well, on four out of the six stages. And bearing in mind that there is no leaders' jersey on the first stage, that's four out of the possible five. Despite the GC disappointment on the final day, it was a very good race for them. It really was. And I think a lot of it came down to just taking opportunities and not looking at stages and thinking, oh, well, obviously this will play out, play out this way. Um, and so, yeah, kind of just being up there at the right moments and always being attacking, which is one thing you can always say about Grace Brown is that she is always keen for an attack. And sometimes it doesn't pay off, but when it does, she often kind of reaps quite a big reward for it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a really great race. And I think as much as you can look at Grace Brown as having done a lot of work on her own in attacks like that, I think in the early stages, the team were really, really working hard and kind of keeping her in a good position and making making the stage as easy as possible for as long as possible until the point where Grace then needed to attack. And it wasn't like we sometimes see with other teams in that they have two riders in a group or something like that. It often was just Grace on those harder stages. But as you say, it's a testament to the kind of rider that she is that she could pull that off um, on her own. Well, and then we move on to another stage where I guess the race was kind of blown up as a lot of people were expecting it to be. Still in Wales, onto Black Mountain. Now, Tilda, you were there, I know. How, how was that day out for you? It was good. It was very windy at the top of the mountain, which uh, I think affected the racing quite a lot. But yeah, it was it was a nice day. And it was nice to have a proper summit finish in the women's tour. Um, I think the main takeaway from that stage was that it did split the race apart, but maybe not as much or in the way that we would have expected. And I think it was the day where you really realised, okay, there aren't that many actual pure climbers here and there aren't that many big pure climbs. And so it was um, a slightly different finale than I would have expected. I think a lot of people had Elisa Longo Bugini down for it. But I think the thing that surprised me was the way that Ellen van Dijk just motor paced up half the mountain and then that was it and I think I think everyone thought oh it's a six kilometer climb there's gonna be lots of time for attacks and everyone's gonna go but yeah Ellen sat on the front for about three kilometers and kind of neutralized that first half of the climb and then I was really interested in the riders that came to the finish because I think again Alex Manley being there after being second on the sprint stage to Gloucester I was like what is going on here you shouldn't really have a rider like that up there but um clearly it's testament to the to the kind of rider rider she is well i think the climb maybe wasn't as hard as it was billed to be it was what six kilometers an average gradient of about five and a bit six percent with pitches at about 11 percent. if i remember correctly does it, do those numbers sound right to you yeah that sounds pretty much right and yeah it's kind of it was kind of billed as Obviously, it was the hardest stage, but that doesn't mean it was actually that hard. And obviously, builders, the first summit finish and all of this. But then, when I first looked at it on the uh, on the route, the the peak is at like seven six hundred fifty meters, and I was like, "Hang on, <laughs> we're not even going above a thousand meters here. Like that is not that hard." And had it been steeper, it would have been harder. But there were hardly any really steep sections, and I think from speaking to the riders at the finish what it came down to was there were no great places to attack because there were no steep bits and the wind was just keeping everyone together. And um, Grace was saying that if you were sat in the wheel, it was easy. You were just kind of rolling up. Um, and so there was not much point in a rider attacking because then it was way harder for you, but the riders behind were actually not 
um, having a very difficult time. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say it was a bit of a flop of a stage, but it's like I really do want to see a proper mountain stage in the women's tour one day, or at least going over a thousand meters. And I think there are a few climbs in the UK that you could do that. Or even if you can't do that, they could have done something like, I was imagining them going up and over the Black Mountain, back around the valley and back up to just make mm. it a little bit harder. Because yeah, in the end, it kind of panned out more like a hard classics day than a climbing day. Yeah, I think I was expecting a sort of finish and not to bait you into talking about men's cycling here, Tilda, <laughs> but the sort of finish that we saw at the Tour of Britain last year, where Wout van Aert and Junella Philippe went to battle on the Great Orm, where it was like very, very steep gradients. And you had this kind of slow-mo slugfest between like two of them that were vying for the GC. We didn't get that. We still got a kind of slow-mo mountaintop sprint, which saw a bit of a shake-up in the GC with a longer with um Elisa Longo Borghini going level on time with Grace Brown, the race leader. Yeah, and I think that final sprint was um probably the strangest part of it because yeah when they came into the last couple of hundred meters together I thought well okay but there'll be a sprint and there'll be some gaps but the top five riders were all given the same time um there was a little bit of uh discussion behind the podium from a certain team's press officer about whether there might have been a second in there but um the race organizers obviously decided that there were no gaps um and so yeah that was kind of a strange a strange finish because you expect that even if there is a sprint in the last couple of hundred meters, there will be some gaps. It's not like an actual bunch sprint where everyone's given the same time, but the fact that everyone had the same time apart from the bonus seconds. And I think there's probably a good point to say that it was really good that there were bonus seconds in this race. I think some people are not necessarily convinced by them. And I've been one of the people in the Tour de France being like, oh, it just ruins it. Like just add too many stupid things in there. But actually in a week-long stage race where you haven't got a time trial or like a really hard day, it does add like a really good um, extra level of of entertainment. And you don't necessarily have to have a big gap to have quite a, a good reward on a stage because it would have been hard to win by 10 seconds on that stage. But the winner got 10 seconds or well, four seconds over the next person. So I think it really encourages racing right to the line um, to pick up those seconds. I absolutely agree. And I think we saw that as well on stage six, which we'll come on to, where even the bonus seconds at the intermediate sprints played a role in the race and kind of, you know, riled everything up way before the finish line, which is when we were kind of expecting this, you know, shootout for the finish. And we got that starting a lot earlier than, than expected. Um, a word before we do on SD Works. Mm. Now we saw Ashley Mormon Passio kind of go on the attack but couldn't really shake people off she couldn't shake off the competition she couldn't stay away and I don't know if that's you know as what we were saying the climb wasn't tough enough for her I know she likes a more extended steeper pitch but I didn't really see much of SD Works this week which was quite disappointing yeah it was a strange one because I think you often look at a team like SD Works and you think they have so many good riders that surely they should be figuring in every race. And often we see them going with Demi Voller and quite rightly, because she's one of the best riders out there. But you always have this impression that even without Demi in the race, they've got six really good riders, but actually it, it seemed to pan out today that without Demi, they didn't really have a kind of great plan A. And I don't know if it's just that they weren't really sure how the race was going to pan out and who they were going to go for, or if Ash just wasn't really feeling it. But yeah, they were weirdly anonymous. And I think losing two riders in the first half of the week um, 
didn't help that. But yeah, you would have expected a little bit more from from Mormon Pasio. Um, but as you say, I think she really struggles with um, having a kick. She can do really well on a long climb. But even if you think about on, on the stage four, when the group went, she couldn't then follow the final kick at the end. Um, and yeah, I think she I think she'll be thinking a lot about the rest of the season because this was probably one of her only chances to race without Demi Vollering and it didn't really pay off. And I think even on on stage five, it seemed like once she realized the wind was gone, she kind of sat up a little bit because I can't really see that she couldn't contest the finish with the riders that were there. Like as I said, Manly and Faulkner, you would expect Mormon Passio to be there. Mm. But I think she's not really that interested in kind of top fives. Um so yeah, I think it's fair to be a little bit critical of SD works, but also you can never say they've had a bad race or a bad season because they are always there doing something. And it's just that because they are so good when it's not a win, we go, Oh, that's a bit disappointing. I think, I think because what I was expecting was they obviously won the race last year with Demi Vollering fairly easily. And I was kind of waiting for a more valiant defense off that title, which we never really got. And I think it, come, it obviously comes off the back of the Ride London Classic as well, where they didn't really do much to shake the race up there either. They had, at this race, there was no Lotte Capecchi, there was no Demi Vollering, but Capecchi was at Ride London and didn't really leave the imprint that I was expecting her to leave. No, and I think she was a little bit disappointed with that. But again, she also said that it is just really hard to beat Vibas in terms of that race. But looking back on it, I think this really could have been a race for Capecchi. And I think Absolutely. she could have been up there in on stage five. I don't think she would have lost that much time. People say she's a bad climber, but she won Strada Bianchi. So she has, she does have a decent kick and she's been really um, improving on her uh, climbing skills. And so, yeah, if you look at her, she's a better sprinter than Longo Borghini and she probably could have held on on the climbing stages. So it does seem like she was probably a good choice. I know that calendar restrictions and where she wants to have a break and everything plays into it. But yeah, I think SD Works maybe just came into this without without someone who could actually win the race, weirdly, because they usually seem to have someone. And then I think losing Chantal and uh, Marlon Reusser, they then just didn't have the cars to play. And again, no, it's it's not a bad thing about riders like Ciccini and Roxanne Fournier, but they're not the type of rider that wins a six-day race like the women's tour. Yeah, I mean, Chantal Black and Marlon Reusser are huge huge names in that team um Shanta Black being obviously a former world champion um to lose those would be a big blow to the morale I'd imagine and just on Lotte Capecchi there I don't know what she's up to this week but she may look back now and think that was maybe a chance missed there um so hopefully she'll be she'll be circling the dates on her calendar for next year and we'll have her on UK roads again yeah and I think if she ever wants to win a six-day race this is kind of the one to win um so yeah, it would be good to have her back. And I think this probably would have been a more fruitful race for her than than Ride London was. Um, but I know she's off to uh, Belgian Nationals after this and she's preparing for, I think, the tour. Um, so yeah, that that's maybe also another point is that there were a lot of riders not here because although it's the last World Tour race before the Giro and the Tour, it's far from a preparation race for those races because it doesn't have the climbing, it doesn't have time trials. And so a lot of riders weren't that interested in in pursuing it. It's, it's not like the Dauphiné, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, th- I think that showed in, in the fact that we didn't have Balsamo here, we didn't have Vollering here, who are two names that will be 
stage hunting big time. Well, Vollering definitely going for the overall at the tour. And them not being here is obviously showing the fact that this is not one that they thought would be a good preparation race for it. No, and I think it will be interesting to see in the future how this race develops and where it might even move pace in the calendar. I know there's been talk about the Giro moving. Um, and so, yeah, if we do kind of develop a kind of pre-race, a pre-tour block of races, where might the women's tour fit into that and how can they make it a race that will attract um, those big GC riders? Well, let's talk about then the final stage, GC tied on time at the top. Elisa Longaborghini and Grace Brown, Grace Brown in the leader's jersey, 143 kilometres from Chipping Norton to Oxford, just 900 metres elevation, bearing in mind the last few days it had been well over 2,000. Now, Tilda, talk us through the drama of how that went out on the stage with the bonus seconds available on the course. Yeah, so obviously with two bonus sprints uh, during the stage and also bonus seconds available at the finish, there was a lot to play for and there were Grace and Elisa were level on time and Nuvia Demo was only two seconds back. So that was a deficit that she could quite easily make up with a couple of the sprint wins. Um, they started the day relatively easily, it felt like. At one point they were going really slowly and not not racing for anything at all because I think the, the teams like Trek and FDJ really wanted to keep it together for um, the first sprint point, which was maybe interesting because you would have thought that maybe if you just let a break go and then you don't have to contend it, that's a slightly easier start to the day. But no, they wanted to keep it all together. And surprisingly to me, Grace Brown got up there and won the first uh, sprint ahead of Audrey Cordon Rigaud and Cassia Nuvodoma in third. Is that right? I think so. We'll say yes, so. Probably. Which is not a top three you usually expect uh, in an intermediate sprint, but they were obviously going for it. And so Grace then had a lead over uh, Elisa, who had finished in fourth. And I made the slightly bold claim to you at the finish that maybe Elisa was playing mind games there and was pretending that she couldn't or didn't want to sprint um, and to kind of lull Grace into the false sense of security. But she said in her interview that actually she was a bit disappointed to not got the points. But it did have the effect of Grace thinking that they were safe because she had these three seconds and she thought that they probably wouldn't be up there in the top three um, in the last sprint. So in the second sprint, there was a breakaway. And I think because it was so close to the finish, it was within the last 40K, uh, the peloton was pretty happy for this late move to go ahead. And they just swept up the seconds with hardly any racing between them uh, either. And then we get to the finish. and. I don't know what I was expecting from that, to be honest. I, What I imagined in my head was that Longo, Bulgini and Brown would sprint in the, in, the, in the bunch, in the mix, but they'd get like sixth and seventh because they're not sprinters. And so it would come back to Grace having this, this lead from earlier on. But amazingly, Elise Longo, Bulgini managed to get third on the stage, picking up enough seconds to overhaul... Um, Brown's lead who finished in 12th and there was a little bit of discussion as well at the finish about what Clara Capone was doing um, obviously Grace Brown's teammate who finished second and whether she should have been going for the win or whether she should have been leading out Brown um, and I think the only thing I can say is that I'm glad that she finished where she did because I at first thought that Capone finished fourth and Longo Bugini finished third and it was like oh my god but if Capone had beaten Longo Bugini then Grace would have won but fortunately there was none of that confusion 
but yeah, I think it was just an incredible sprint from Longo Borghini, who you don't really think of as someone who can be third to Lorena Vivas. I think the crux of that finish was the left-hander 90-degree turn at 250 metres to go. And I remember walking into the finish and thinking, wow, that looks quite sharp. And it wasn't like they had the whole road to deal with because there was kind of road furniture in the middle of the road. So they were only, you know, restricted to that inside lane. And I thought this could be trouble. Fortunately, it was a beautifully sunny day. So there was no wet roads like we saw on stage one. And what happened was it seemed Grace Brown kind of lost the wheel going into that corner. She dropped out, well, she dropped back a few places and Longo Borghini knew exactly where she needed to be. Caponi, for some reason, maybe thought Grace Brown was on her wheel or didn't really know whether she should be sprinting. And it seemed to be that she had to make that decision in her mind, which was, I just need to make sure I finish ahead of Elisa Longo Borghini here. Because if I don't, I'm going to get in the neck from my teammates. Yeah, and it kind of shows how these kind of races can come down to decisions that are made in the heat of the moment. And as much as we like to think about these really well thought out tactics and everything, when you're sprinting at full pelt with 200 metres to go, you don't know where anyone is. You've just got to kind of go for it and you can't be making tactical judgments there. And it just panned out, as you say, going into that last corner, Elisa was where she needed to be and Brown wasn't. And maybe if Brown had started her sprint off of Elisa's wheel, it would have been a different story. But yeah, it just, you know, you lose a few wheels and suddenly you've lost the whole race. And uh, Elisa Longoborghi, she told everybody in the press pack afterwards that she'd been taking some tips from uh, from Lizzie Dignan, uh, for who won the race, well, who sprinted in the, in the finale in 2019. Um, and here is what Elisa had to say about the race uh, kind of after that thrilling finale. We decided to go for the intermediate sprint and uh, I was fourth, so I was like, okay, that's the second place and that's it. But then uh, all my teammates kept me up and they were like, okay, we try at the finish line and we, we, do, the, we do the lead out for you. And I was really doubting, but then when you see such a, a team that is motivated and, uh, and they are really believing in you, you just want to give them back everything. And uh, in the end, they all did a perfect job and Audrey let me at 500 and I, knew, I know that in corners I'm pretty good and I just let some riders go in to take the draft and I sprinted my my own but uh, I really again uh, it's a very well displayed teamwork and uh, I'm really thankful to all my teammates to the staff that is here working for me and uh, yeah Traxi Gafredo did, uh, did really well and again we we showed how much teamwork uh, worth in, in cycling. Now that kind of wraps up our, our women's tour coverage here. Um, I have to say the race has made me very excited for next month's Grand Depart in Paris. Now Tilda, how excited are you? How are you feeling about the, uh, the Tour de France next month? I can almost not describe how excited I am. It's just, it is going to be such a good race. Even, even if you take away all the history and the spectacle of it, it is set up to be a great race. And if it was a random 2.1 in like Slovenia, it, you would also be saying, oh, that is looking like a good race. So the fact that it's enshrined in all this history and it's the first, well, the first revitalised Women's Tour de France and it's starting in Paris is, I think it's just going to be incredible. And yeah, I'm so fortunate to be going there and that all of the publications that we work with are being really supportive about the race and, it is really going to be the event of the summer, I think. No offence to the old 
Tour de France Homs. Um, but yeah, it should be great. So what will you be doing? Will you be following every stage as press? Yes, yes, I'm doing it for Cycling News. So it'd be me and uh, Kirsten, the editor of the women's editor of Cycling News. Um, every stage, very busy, lots of um, lots of news to produce. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited. Well, that'll be very cool. Um, Tilda, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and everybody else, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back with another episode very soon. But in the meantime, take care. Thank you. Thank you.